The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roma podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Brett Arsenio Johnson. And as usual, you guys know that I always collect these stories of different IMGs, different walks of life, different specialties. But one of you actually sent me a DM on Instagram asking me to invite Dr. Johnson on the show. So I have never met Dr. Johnson before. And I took the courage to say, hey, I'm going to just slide in his DMs and ask him if he'll come on the show and share his story with us. And then I started going on the rabbit hole and learning about Dr. Johnson and pretty amazing things I learned. Welcome to the show, Dr. Johnson. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. So as she said, I'm Dr. Johnson. I came from Guyana. Most people don't know where that is, but that's in South America. Okay. I went to medical school there, the University of Guyana School of Medicine, quite some time ago. And it took me a long journey to get to surgery residency in the U.S., which we'll talk about soon. Yes. So you're originally from Guyana. Did you spend your entire life in Guyana or had you, uh, did you train in the U.S. any prior to this whole match process? So I spent most of my early life in Guyana and then I moved to Trinidad where I worked as a house officer at the Department of Surgery. So I was actually practicing there for some years before moving here. So prior to the match, I didn't have any U.S. clinical experience or U.S. LORs for, for that matter. So I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be given this opportunity. But it, it came after a lot of challenges along the way. Right. So let's, let's try to create a timeline for the listener. When did you graduate medical school and where was that? Was that in Trinidad or in Guyana? So I graduated in 2012, actually, and that was in Guyana. So I did like about three months of internship in Guyana at Georgetown Public Hospital. And then I moved to Trinidad and I repeated internship there, which then consisted of another 12 months where you rotate like in surgery, pediatrics, OBGYN, and internal medicine, like three months of each. Okay. Afterwards, you can apply for a job as a house officer, whichever specialty you like. Initially, funny story, I actually wanted to do medicine first, but working in medicine, I didn't really like it. I actually enjoyed surgery more. I enjoyed working with my hands. I realized that at that point, I was very procedural and I liked doing procedures and like seeing the patients improve before your eyes. You remove their appendix or something and they get better the next day. Whereas in the Caribbean, the primary healthcare system wasn't so good. So with medicine, a lot of the patients just went home for two weeks and they came back like, it just keep coming back. Right. So I didn't feel as though I was getting enough job satisfaction in that specialty. So I switched gears completely 
and then I applied to become a house officer in the Department of Surgery at uh, Eric Williams Medical Science Complex in Trinidad. So that's like a tertiary hospital in Trinidad. Okay. One of the main ones. Uh, it's it's a, it could be considered like an academic institution where the University of the West Indies have several programs that are attached to the hospital. There's actually a DM in surgery, urology, orthopedics, internal medicine. So they are like local Caribbean residency programs that are run in that hospital. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And did you get to practice in Trinidad as a physician, as a full-fledged physician prior to pursuing this USMLE journey? Yes. So I was actually practicing as a house officer. So a house officer if you want to think of the British system compared to the U.S., it's like a, it's sort of like a resident level, but you're fully licensed. So I, I guess it's supposed like after you get your step three to that extent, but you're not an, uh, say, a senior resident, which would probably be like a registrar and an attending would be like a consultant. If you want to uh, find the equivalent uh, level of uh, the hierarchy in that system. Right. So a pulse officer could be thought of like a resident PGY one to three sort of level. So I was at that level for a few years, rotating among different specialties. So I worked like for a bit in neurosurgery, plastic surgery, general surgery, pediatric surgery, thoracic surgery, orthopedics. I actually fell in love with orthopedics because I actually liked physics for a bit back in high school, and I wanted to <laughs> consider becoming an engineer at one point. Yeah. But the, yeah, but then I changed medicine. Uh, so yeah, so I actually wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, and I applied to that first initially, not knowing how super competitive it was in the U.S. Right, right. So let's get into your U.S. story then, because... Right now, we're interviewing you, and you're about to start your PGY-2 year. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. PGY-2, categorical general surgery physician. So I initially started last year as a PGY-1 prelim, which is pretty much common for most IMGs. That's where we start, especially if you do not have like significant U.S. clinical experience and a lot of U.S. Uh, letters of recommendations, but just maybe perhaps good scores and maybe some surgical experience. So most times you get a prelim position. From that position, you, you need to try to work your ass off to get a spot either at the same institution as a PGY-1 the following year, or you could apply for a PGY-2 spot at another institution if that opens up. Or sometimes you could even do a, a second prelim PGY year, right? But fortunately for me, I was able to get a PGY-2 spot. And the big role in that, to making that successful, is uh, you absolutely need to have someone in the U.S. that is uh, actually, I would say, you know, rooting for you and trying to get you placed in a sense. I mean, yes, you have to work hard and there's a lot you could do on your own account. But as an IMG, if you do not have 
like someone in the U.S. that's writing good letters for you, that's making phone calls for you. It's, it's really, really difficult for that to happen all on its own, all on your own accord. Networking is very, very, very important. And that's one of the things in like retrospect, like I would advise anyone that's coming along now, you know, go to the U.S. before, do rotations, network with program directors and other people, do some research, you know, get your name out there so that people know you. And that way people could vouch for you and, you know, make calls for you and you get yourself in a program. I mean, I did, I mean, I did on my, I did well on my own accord to make myself uh, an attractive applicant because, for instance, say there's this exam that surgical residents write every year, the American Board of Surgery in training exam. Given the fact that I had a few years experience practicing in surgery already, so I already came with a strong knowledge base. So I didn't really, I mean, yeah, I did put in the work. I still to this day read it, read daily, but it was easy for me. So for my score, I scored the 99th percentile, which is like, uh, if you're familiar with, with statistics, is a very small number of people that would actually get that kind of score as like the right. far right of the normal distribution, right? Right, so yeah. I, yeah, so I scored that score and that really helped me in uh, my applications to get a second year position. So I got a few interviews based on that. But my program director at the time, he made calls for me as well, which facilitated that process even more. So that's why I, I, one of the things I learned that networking and, you know, getting yourself out there and knowing people is very, very important. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Like I believe networking is just as valuable in medicine as it is in the business world. The only difference is for us, it doesn't come with that same transactional type of relationship. It's very much related to who you know and how you work where you're known. So whether it's doing a rotation or it's doing a research elective or a clinical or an observership or best case scenario during a preliminary year, there is still a level of networking that can happen. So for the listener, they're going to be thinking, well, you know, Dr. Johnson's telling us this now because he's already, he already had a PGY1 position. They're thinking, how do we even get into a PGY1 position? And the reason I want to talk about this is, is, is here. I get a lot of IMGs that would send me messages and they are interested in surgical specialties. But because they've been told by forums, net, you know, all these Facebook pages and whatnot, that's telling IMGs, oh, you know, surgery is so competitive, don't bother, don't waste your time. And they're hearing all these negative messages about even starting that process out. And I think a lot of them don't even realize that you can start off as a preliminary applicant and then reapply into the match to get a categorical position to complete residency. So can you walk us through how you even found out about that option for preliminary and, and maybe how you prepared yourself for the preliminary match? So how did I find out about it? From forums, from reading online, I realized. So let me, let me start from the beginning. So sure. initially, yeah. as I mentioned before, like I wanted to do orthopedic surgery. So I applied to the ortho match initially. Didn't match, obviously. I'm an IMG. 
I mean, my scores were decent. So just researching more into surgery and the competitive nature of it, I realized that my best bet would be to reapply the next year to general surgery, as much programs as possible. So as an IMG, one of the factors, you don't have the leisure of, say, applying to like 50 programs like a U.S. grad. You have to apply to like almost every program. Like I I didn't apply to all, but I I maybe applied to like 120, 140 or so programs because it it adds up and it gets pretty expensive too. That's when, yeah, yeah, when you apply to so much programs, that's not a limiting factor for a lot of people. So yeah, I reapplied to a lot of programs. I I got less than five interviews. I remember even going on an interview where the program director didn't even know what guy where Guyana was. (laughs) So you be placed in situations where you're like, oh my god, why am I even here? All this. Yeah, all this time you're spending a bunch of money, but it's all a sacrifice along the way, and you will fail. You just always have to remember that success is not the absence of failure. It's like the persistence through failure that will actually get you to where you want to be. And that was, I was just so persistent. So I went to all my interviews, including prelim interviews, right? And this institution that I went to, I felt really good at this institution. It was a prelim spot at Abington Jefferson Hospital. I mean, they just... Luckily, they just picked my application. I didn't, like I said before, I didn't really have much U.S. LORs or anything, just good USMLE scores. So they invited me for an interview. I went there. I met with them. And the interview went well, and the institution seemed nice. There was a 24-hour gym there. That was a big selling point for me. So I, I, I ranked that institution higher than, like, the two categorical places that I went where, you know, the person didn't even know where Guyana was and stuff like that. And then I matched there. I mean, the initial transition period coming from the Caribbean to the U.S., it, it has fair share of challenges, especially with COVID as well. Moving during COVID was difficult. There was difficulty getting certain things like, you know, just household stuff, your car, you know, just traveling, moving around. Then there was adopting to the system the culture here is different. The timing, everything was different. There was no EMR in the Caribbean. So right. adjusting to the EMR was also challenging. And then like you're expected that you're, I mean, given the fact that they are aware of your experience, you're sort of expected to perform at a higher level than seeing someone who just came out of medical school. But at the same time, that person has been in the system for some time, so they are accustomed to the way how this system works. So there's a lot of pressure to perform. And in surgery, it's a high-stress environment. But you just got to keep working hard and persisting and just, just do your best. And, you know, doors will open up. People will notice that you're working hard. People will notice that you're trying. And with time, you just improve and you just grow. I mean, growth never comes from a place of comfort, right? So, you know, I learned a lot over the last year. And uh, I just did my best. And program director, he saw that, you know, I did my best. The, the chairman of the department also saw that. And they both helped me along the way in getting into a categorical position. Yeah, yeah. 
And thanks for being, you know, open and honest about the trials that you had on the front end, you know, applying into orthopedics, not getting any interviews, and then turning around to re-strategize. And then, you know, broadening, it sounds like some things that you did differently was you broadened your reach by going for more places so that you could sort of cast a wider net. And even yeah. that, mm-hmm. yeah, can you touch a little bit on that? Because you said you did like 120 applications. How did you split those between like, how many of those were like categorical versus preliminary? And do you have any advice for someone that's kind of dealing with that decision right now, how much they allocate to each of those? So what I did, all the programs that I applied to categorical surgery, I just checked the prelim box as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the worst that could happen, right? If they think you're good enough for a categorical position, they'll invite you. If they don't think you are, they may just invite you for a prelim, which for IMGs, which is, you just got to accept that that's what it might be, right? right? A prelim position, and then from there, you really need to work your work very hard to get into a categorical position. I've met a lot of, a few, well, not a lot, but a few like IMG attendings at the institution I worked at, maybe two, and they both started as prelims. And they're both now bariatric uh, attendings. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it always happens. Right. Absolutely. I think, you know, one thing that sometimes being a student or an IMG in a foreign country, or even when you first move here, is it's really hard to see the end of the tunnel because it's clouded by all the steps that need to happen before that. You know, step one, step two, step three, application and whatnot. But like you said, there are physicians out in practice that have gone through what we consider non-traditional or untraditional paths to get to where they're at. And it's never held against them. It's, it's never going to be an issue whether you start out in a PGY-1 categorical from day one or whether you do a preliminary year and then transition into a categorical. At the end of the day, you're all going to get to the same point. And at that point, you know, you're on the same level playing field for fellowships and other things like that. So I really think that that's a myth that I get a lot from IMGs is thinking, well, if I don't do it, what I consider the the traditional way, then I'm setting myself up for like roadblocks in the future. And maybe that's because we've already experienced so many roadblocks on the front end that we feel like it has to fit the cookie for it to be right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not like that at all. I wouldn't, encourage them to change their mindset from now. I mean, unless you maybe rotated at a Ivy League institution with a lot of research papers that were published in good journals and you have free LORs, some well-known U.S. Uh, surgeons, then sure, go, go apply for the categorical and ignore the prelim spot. But if you're like a IMG that's from a different country, not much U.S. experience, or maybe you did a few observerships, maybe get a few letters from not so great surgeons, so famous surgeons or something. You should keep the prelim position in your back pocket. You should always consider it. I mean, it's not the end of the road. There's so much paths that you could go from there. It's not set in stone. And you could even go from a general surgery prelim to even see uh, a different specialty altogether. You could go to uh, anesthesia, internal medicine, 
you could go to like some specialized surgery like ortho or plastics if you're really, really that good and make the right connections and those kind of things. And sometimes you don't even have to repeat the year. For instance, in my case, I was fortunate that I don't have to repeat the year. I go straight into a categorical two spot, which is very hard to do. Most times for most people, they match at their home institution and come back as a PGY-1 categorical position. Wow. If let's say if that doesn't work out, the other option is you could get another PGY-2 preliminary spot for another year. And after that year, you could go on to a categorical PGY-3 spot where you don't need to repeat the first two years, or you could go back to a categorical one spot. So, I mean, there's several paths. And over the course of the year, for whatever reason, residents always maybe drop out or they get fired, or I don't know, spots open up. Right. And you just, uh, there's a website you could check is the Association of Program Directors, the APDS website, and spots always pop up there, and you just apply and, you know, hope for the best. So it's not, it's not, it's not like a, a death sentence. Like, there's, you, you, if you get a prelim spot, just be happy for it as an IMG, and just know that it's only up from here if you really work, work very hard, and they, know, they notice that. Right. So, you know, like you said, it's not a death sentence. <laughs> I like that. But did it feel like a death sentence when you did not match the first time? Oh, my God. It's, it's it really did because I really, really, really wanted to do orthopedics. Right. I, I was so stressed. I think that's what triggered something called maybe telogen effluvium. And I started losing my hair. <laughs> I went from having hair to going bald <laughs> to have my beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just, I, like I was so stressed. I started losing hair. It was, it was crazy. Right. But I just had to be persistent. But like I said before, right, success is not all about just greatness. It's just hard work and consistency. And you always have to learn from your failures and just persist. So I try to look at my application introspect okay okay am i a competitive applicant am i not so competitive what's good about my application would i be good enough for this specialty so then i just after like doing research i realized that you know i could have never matched into ortho unless i did a like research fellowship i was actually offered a research fellowship before moving to the u.s at the university of alabama birmingham with uh, Professor Ponce, he's a shoulder guy. But at the time, I, I kind of ignored his advice because I didn't want to just move here because it was a non-paying fellowship. And, you know, I was already working. I had, like, responsibilities and stuff. I couldn't just move to the U.S. Uh, without an income, right? right? So I decided to apply without doing the research. When he looked at my when he told me that, because I should have, you know, come for a research fellowship. Because how I met him is that they came to Trinidad for something called Operation Walk Maryland, where they did like hip and knee replacements over the course of like three days or so. Okay. So I scrubbed in with them and we did it. We did maybe about 50, like 45 to 50 cases. 
It was very nice. It was a very good experience. And I talked to him about ortho in the U.S. and stuff. And he offered me it at that point in time. But I didn't <laughs> I didn't take it up for, like, financial reasons. And I think, no, no, let me just apply and see what happens. And yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. But here you are on the other side with an alternative that you, you enjoy, correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I do enjoy surgery. I do enjoy anything that's like very procedural and, you know, just surgery as a whole is just an art. It's just, I don't know, I just, every day, I mean, every time I'm in the OR, it just brings me so much joy. And it's just seeing my patients improve and get better. It's nothing more gratifying. I can't think of doing any other, like a non-surgical specialty, if I was to say. Right, right. And, and there are many listeners like you who feel like they can't see themselves doing anything else. And so let's speak to that right now, because in the beginning, you said that you matched without even a U.S. LOR and some other stuff. Can you go over that again? Oh, yeah. So I didn't do any observerships in the U.S. that I didn't have any U.S. Uh, LORs. I just had like decent scores and LOR, some like consultants I worked with back home. So for step one, I had a 246. And for step two, I had a 260. And for CS, I just passed that. I didn't do step three as yet. Okay. So your scores almost, do you think, maybe spoke ahead of you? So, you know, I think that's how I look at scores, like a really competitive score, like what you did. What it does for an IMG is it at least gives you that like red flag attention, maybe not a red flag, green light. It's almost like, yeah. okay, this person has something, let's dig deeper, right? That's my exactly competitive score. It's like it's a green light for an IMG, as opposed to if there is a not so competitive score, then you're sort of like not at the bottom of the barrel, but not looked upon as fairly as an IMG who has something that makes them stand out. Exactly. I think the other thing that probably made my application stand out was that I had some background surgical experience because that came out in the interview. They asked me about that. So I think that was another green light. Yeah. And I think some IMGs struggle with the idea of being what we call an old IMG, which is really a term that, you know, comes from all these forums and stuff where people just say, well, if you've graduated medical school X amount of years ago and you just didn't finish medical school within the last year or two, you're considered an old IMG. But, you know, from your story, you're actually saying that the fact that you were in practice in a surgical specialty prior to moving to the States or prior to even pursuing this was actually an added benefit. Is that what you're saying? In retrospect, I think it was. But in the broader picture of things in terms of applications, I think it it hurted my application more. Like the further you out you are out from medical school, the less uh, competitive your application appears, regardless of how much you know or what you can do or what you've done before, anything like that, right? I mean, it it, it was looked at favorably in this case, but in the in the grander scheme of things, I think it might actually be correct that. It actually hurts your application more. So that's why, like, whenever I meet young medical students from the Caribbean that's thinking about going to the U.S. path, 
I always encourage them just get your exams done as soon as possible and just apply. Right? You don't want to waste. I wasted a few. Well, I don't. I don't say wasted, but I could have done my exams a little bit earlier. Right. Yeah, but you know, it 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 would definitely help you if you're a younger applicant, and it also would help. Even when, say, you match and you get that position, you find yourself in positions where the hierarchy here is so important. Like, what I've noticed to come here, you don't really, in residency, I don't know if it's different for other specialties, but what I've noticed is that the hierarchy is super important. We don't see each other as colleagues. It's, I'm above you, you're below me. It's, it, it was, I mean, that was the kind of culture I got. So you find yourself where you may be junior to someone, but you know way more than seniors. And it, it, the dynamic could be strange sometimes. But what I would advise, what I've learned in, well, I would say probably the hard way in some cases is that you just have to kind of remain humble and just maybe sometimes just downplay how much you know and you just survive keep your head down and keep working and you know you you will you your positions will open up for you yeah i think i understand exactly what you're saying without saying everything that you're saying (laughs) (laughs) because because there is indeed a certain level of i i called it ego when i was in training because it was almost as if you know, it, it was irrespective of how much training that you had prior to coming into residency, you had to listen to the seniors. And then a lot of times there was sort of an ego battle because then it's like just by virtue of that one extra PGY year, you may know more because you have experience, but you just have to, you know, keep the peace for lack of better words. And it's a, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, but I, I can imagine that a lot of doctors who have practiced in other countries have been fully independent coming back into training, it definitely takes a, a great deal of humility and just being able to assimilate and acclimatize to the scenario so as to make your path just as smooth as possible. Because at the end of the day, once you're done and out in practice, you call the shots, right? Exactly, exactly. And so that is very important to for IMGs to pick up that have clinical experience coming in as a PGY-1. I mean, don't make the mistake I made because initially, I, I think I, I, I had some clashes with the hierarchy system. And, you know, you, you just got to you gotta just adopt your approach and self-awareness, awareness of your environment and the culture. Right? I wish I had uh, adopted sooner. But now that I know going forward, you know, I know what to do. Right, right. So another question that I get often from students that are, or IMGs that are applying into general surgery is they, there is this con, you know, I didn't apply into surgery, so I'm not clear, but there's this concept of research and publications being a must for surgical residency applications. What is your take on that? I don't think it's absolutely necessary, especially if you're coming in as a preliminary position, because I didn't publish. I just had like oral presentations at different surgical conferences, but I didn't publish, right? So I don't think it's absolutely necessary, but if you do have it, it's a definite bonus 
right? Because it shows that you're academic and that you, you're going to be someone who's going to put out papers for the program, which reflects well on the program. So you land it increases your chances of you landing a categorical spot from the get-go, right? So if you have a lot of publications and stuff, it will definitely work well in your favor, but it's not an absolute necessity, I would say, because I have I've I've have colleagues that have had like preliminary spots that didn't have publications as well. So you just have to be open to starting as a prelim. And it, it depends on where you're at. I mean, the prelim spot, yes, it's a good place to start. But at some institutions, prelims get differential treatment. My institution, well, former institution, it wasn't that case. And it was fair for the most part. Hmm. So let's let's go into that a little bit. So you, you you mentioned that some institutions preliminaries get differential treatment. Is that maybe that their rotations are scheduled differently, or is it that they're considered a prelim and so certain things are not they're not given access to certain procedures or how does so, that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so in some institutions, prelims are notorious for getting scheduled like more night floats, uh, months, less OR time you know, those kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a way to be able to tell on the front end if you be, you know, for someone that's maybe thinking, oh my God, I'm worried about that. Is there a way for them to be able to know that on the front end or you just so have to the, the way it? The way to know is like, say you apply and you get granted an interview for a preliminary position at that institution the way you know is when you go to the interview or whatever um, Zoom chat room, you interact with the residents and try to find like whichever one was a prelim resident at the institution before or a present preliminary resident there now. I mean, you talk with them so you get a sense of uh, the program. Got it. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Wow. So what are you so excited about? What are you most excited about? starting your PGY two year. Can you share with us where you're at right now, where your mind is and, and what you're looking forward to? Uh, right now, I mean, I'm, I'm still self-introspection over the last year, trying to see what uh, areas I could improve on as a person and as a surgeon. There's still a lot of room for improvement, but I'm still very happy to be going forward. I'm looking forward to moving into the city. I was living in the, in the suburbs before. So I'm going to move into the city and Philly, exploring, experiencing the new hospitals. We rotate at Penn Hospital of University of Pennsylvania, which is a very good hospital. So I'm looking forward to getting an experience in trauma and ICU there. We also rotate at CHOP with the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, right? So for pediatric surgery. So I'm really looking forward to that as well. And my home institution, Mercy Fitz, looking forward to meeting the new residents and getting a lot more exposure in general surgery there. What I'm also trying to do is see how I could network into the plastic surgery circle because I'm thinking about pursuing a fellowship in plastic surgery. So yeah. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to reach out to several different like plastic surgeons that are available on a plasticsurgery.org website that are available for mentorship. So I'm just trying to reach out to them so that maybe I could get involved in projects and, you know, just networking. There's a meeting coming up 
at the end of October in Atlanta. They're thinking about attending that. So, you know, I'm just trying to figure out the path towards uh, the Plastics Fellowship. Yeah. So, that's yeah, that's what I'm awesome. thinking about. Yeah, that's yeah. exciting. It's in the past, I think I've had two other surgeons on the podcast who went ahead to pursue, actually one of them completed general surgery and then did a plastic surgery fellowship. He was one of the very first people I interviewed on the podcast. And then the other one was able to get into a categorical plastic surgery residency during his surgical residency. So that was also a pretty interesting switch and story there. So we wish you very much success. And I like that you're still in this moment, continuing to network. And for those listening, if you heard what Dr. Johnson said, he is still planning on going to conferences to network at those places. He's looked up the society website for what he's interested in. And he's you know trying to find who's available for mentorship because most of these organizations do have a department for mentorship and he's reaching out. So I usually tell IMGs like networking can take you so many places, but you have to do the work. You have to present yourself, whether it's at the Zoom meets that we see now popping up, the informational sessions or in-person meetings with everything going on with the vaccine being available, in-person meetings may begin to open up again, but take a lesson from his book as far as networking goes a long way. Dr. Johnson, I'm going to ask you a question because I think you mentioned this earlier on in and when we were talking, you said mm-hmm. based on a lot of your performance in your PGY one year, you still implemented certain aspects of networking in order to be able to get your program director to vouch for you to that degree to proceed on to your PGY two year. But one thing I get from students is they always want to ask, they ask me, you know, what are some things that they should do when they're in a rotation and they're interested in moving forward to the next thing, or maybe they want to match at that program? What are some tips that they can implement? Maybe if they're rounding or if they're working with a team for a month or two that really showcases them as a competitive future resident there or a future applicant there. Okay. So what I've seen, for instance, with the medical students that I saw the sub-interns, they call them, that rotated at the institution I worked for previously that matched this year around as a PGY-1. There was one girl I would always remember, and she would always be there. You just got to show up. She was always there early. You know, she was always trying to do extra stuff. She, you know, everyone knew she was a hard worker. She, you know, when it came time to present anything, she was always willing, and she put her best foot forward, made a good presentation. So, I mean, it just shows that hard work goes a long way. You just got to be consistent. Start working hard, finish working hard, and they will notice, and you will get a spot there. So that that would be my uh, suggestion. Right. So it's it's really as much as showing up and 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 hard work. I mean, and I think there's something to to add to that in the sense of let it be genuine. Like people can read when it's fake or you know made up. And and I doubt that any IMG listening is going to you know be faking their determination. So whatever you're doing, just let it be genuine. Let people really see your interest. And speak up. I think that's another big deal is speak up, show up and speak up, participate. If you're rounding or in conference and meetings, do speak up because you just never know who's listening 
think a lot of times there's that idea of, well, maybe I'll just let other people go first or, you know, they know better than me or whatever. But sometimes just participating is enough to show interest. You don't have to have the right answer, but you may just have the right question. So Dr. Johnson, before we let you go, can you tell us maybe what your mantra is? What keeps you grounded? What's the thing that gets you going? Because you sound like a pretty determined person coming in, applying into ortho, not getting in, did not give up, went for surgery, put in the work, put in the effort, and now you're proceeding on and you already have your eyes set on maybe a plastic surgery fellowship. But what are some things that keep you grounded? How do you make decisions? How do you build your grit and your determination? Wow, that's a loaded question. I've just always envisioned my life a certain way, and I know this is not the end. And in order for me to get where I want to be, I have to make the sacrifice. I can't give up. I just have to keep going, right? I always tell myself, right, success isn't always about greatness. It's about consistency. Consistent hard work will gain success. So I just prepare to put the time in and put the work in and just to never give up, right? You will fail along the way, right? But you just have to learn from your failures and just, you know, spend time on introspection and just, you know, analyzing yourself. What could you do better? Just just always remain humble and just think about yourself and think about ways you can improve as a person in, in all aspects of life. And yeah. you just have to get that determination and persistence. I think that determination was just there with me from as a young age, as a child, because I mean, growing up, I was not in the best environment yet still, like I managed to stay in high school, which was like the top school for the country. And I graduated the top student for that school that year, even though coming from an environment where there was like drugs and other stuff that was going on that I could have easily get sidetracked with but I just always knew from a tender age like you know I, I wanted certain things in my life and you know this is the only way I could get it so I will always stay on this path and I'm always willing to do whatever it takes to, until I achieve that goal. Wow yeah thanks for sharing that and usually most IMGs who listen they want to connect with you they want to follow you they want to know what's going on and maybe they have questions for you. Where can they find you on the internet? Um, they they could find me on Instagram. That's the only social media that I use. My Instagram handle is I am Dr. Johnson. All right. We'll have that in the show notes as well. So you guys can click and check him out and give him a follow and maybe send any further questions that you have to him. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank, it was thank my you pleasure so much for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed every moment of it. And I'm sure this information will be very helpful for one IMG out there that wants to be a surgeon. So thank you. You're very welcome. You guys out there listening, don't give up, right? Don't give up. Just keep pushing through the failures. Learn from each one and just keep going. You could do it. And always remember that it doesn't need to be a categorical position initially. A preliminary position in surgery will do you just fine. Just work hard and you will get there. Okay, good luck to you guys.